welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. You, you know, we have to acknowledge the culture that we have and all that wisdom that is embedded in, in our ancestral cultures. And, you know, with that, I think we can really see beyond capitalism, patriarchy, globalization, and colonialism. And, and as I said before, women are a central piece in, in this puzzle. That's the voice of Marcelo Savadra. On this week's show, we speak to Marcelo about the role of language and rights in this changing paradigm and the role of women in the paradigm shift that's already taking place. Stay tuned. I am very privileged to have with us uh, Dr. Marcelo Saavedra. He's an Aymara elder, and uh, he's joining us from Ottawa. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you so much. Now, when we think about, you know, the kinds of nations that inhabit the earth, we often think about the U.S., Canada, Germany, all these colonial nation states that have been formed and thus was recognized. We, we never think about the nations of people who were here long before, you know, the kings of England and Spain decided to send ships over. Uh, we never talk about the Iroquois nation. We never talk about the Kusalis nation. We never talk about the Aymara, the Maya, the Incas. And so what have we lost? Because not only do we not talk about it, we seem to have created a world that's monolithic and, you know, where English is the only language that everybody's required to know in order to participate. Yeah, we have we have lost so much, you know. Like, uh, for instance, in my country, in what we call nowadays Bolivia, uh, we were like 36 nations. There are still like about 33 nations in Bolivia, but uh, basically we have lost a lot of languages. And uh, and the same here in Canada, you know, uh, at the time of the arrival of the Europeans, there were about 55 languages being spoken on this land, you know, and uh, Unfortunately, we have lost most of them, and uh, nowadays we have two official languages, which are both colonial languages. And uh, some of the indigenous languages that are still strong nowadays are like the, the Cree, Inuktitut, Ojibwe, and some others. But most of them, they are in the process of becoming extinct languages. And when we lose a culture, when we lose mature cultures like that, we're not only losing the ability to speak to each other in different languages and to qualify the things that surround us in a different way, because as you might know, uh, in most of indigenous languages, you know, the way these languages have been um, constructed, they are, you use verbs, you don't, you, do, you don't use nouns. In English, in Spanish, in Portuguese, in French, all colonial, colonial languages, you use nouns to objectify reality. And when you do that, you are in a way trying to like take a picture, a photograph of object. Whereas in indigenous languages, 
Everything is about action. Everything is about flowing. So you don't say, for instance, the window. You say, and this is very contextual, you, you would say, the place by which I can relate to outside, if you're, you, if you're inside. Or you can say, the place by which I can see into my house. So it changes completely because everything is about verbs. So that's only one characteristic of indigenous cultures. So we've lost that, and we are losing that. But we have also been losing the ability to dream in, in, you know, in thousands of other ways because we have been imposed only one mode of perception, which, which is the Western way of defining things. And uh, in the process, we, we, you know, we brought to extinction many cultures, many languages, and uh, we, we are just depriving ourselves of, of uh, you know, a multitude of possibilities of understanding who we are, you know, to understanding what it means to be human according to other cultures. And that's so, so sad because, you know, the monoculture of the mind is the Western civilization. And it has made us believe that it is only their perception, the only one that is valid. But the other, uh, you know, the indigenous cultures, which I call mature cultures because they have been on the land for thousands of years, they know very well the cycles of Mother Earth, like the Maya people, for instance. They know very well the cycles of the universe. You know, they were so advanced in their appreciation of the you know, of, of space, of galaxies, and other celestial bodies, that they could actually express their notion about time in terms of millions of years. You know, they were so advanced in that sense. Also, my culture, you know, the Aymara people, they were able to, um, you know, plunge into the realm of the subconscious and actually see how cycles took shape. And uh, we, like, for instance, we believe that we are in the, in the era of the Pachacuti. Pachacuti means the cosmic upheaval, because this happens every certain number of years, because it's a cycle, and now we are in the midst of a Pachacuti, of a cosmic upheaval. And everything is upside down, which is one of the predictions of the Pachacuti. And, you know, but we, by, by espousing only one set of criteria, we forget about those all, all the other ways of perceiving the universe and the cosmos. That's what we are losing. Precious knowledge that could be so, so important in the survival of our species. And uh, it's the same thing like with monoculture. When you plant only one kind of um, product in your land, eventually that's going to, you know, to die if it's a monoculture. So the monoculture of the mind is the same thing. If we just have one sort of perception, eventually it's going to die off, and it's happening. Because also this civilization is so arrogant, Western scientists and Western people, they fail to understand that they just have the solution in front of themselves if they would be humble enough. So that's what we're losing when we're losing the, uh, our cultures, Sylvia.
I want to talk about the language because I think in, encoded in the language is a way of seeing, a way of being in the world. And how we walk in the world, how we tread, whether we tread lightly or whether we're stomping on everything, you know, is directly interconnected to the ways we see the world. Let's talk a little bit about some of those differences. In the Western world, we see everything through rights. We have a constitution that declares the rights of women, the rights of children. Everything, everything has rights. And in indigenous culture, the word for rights, I think, is missing. Can you speak to this and why is this yeah. distinction important? Yeah, I think that's very, very important because actually I think that we are in a, in a process of uh, exas exacerbating all the crisis that we're in, but at the same time also, maybe because of this crisis, we are in a mode of shifting perceptions where we need this per shift in the value systems that we hold. So there is a shift in paradigm that's clearly seen, and that's not new. There's even, uh, you know, Western scientists that have acknowledged this, that we are changing the way we perceive everything. And, and one of the things that is uh, changing uh, and is going to change even more so in the years to come is the notion of rights. Because when you talk about rights, and of course, you know, there are rights like for everything, you need to understand that these rights are granted to you by a structure that is the state or a union of states like the United Nations. So whenever you have a right, you need this instance the state or an international organization that is going to grant you that right, is going to acknowledge you that, that right. You, you know, your, your country might enshrine that right in the Constitution as well, but you need this colonial set of states or, 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 or a colonial state so you can actually realize your right. And this is very different from the way indigenous peoples have understood their position in the mysterious circle, uh, circle of life. I, I, I did a research and I tried to find if in, in other languages there was, in other indigenous languages, there was like a provision for rights and there's none across the planet. I have found everywhere the notion of responsibilities. I have also found in some other uh, indigenous uh, cultures the notion of uh, dignities uh, but responsibilities is like everywhere. And for me, that's quite clear because the notion of responsibility basically comes from the side of the female force field. Because mothers, they have to be responsible for their children. And uh, the notion of responsibilities, you can even observe that, you can observe this in, your, in the animal that's around you. Although they might have some rights enshrined in some sort of legal document, which is an invasion of uh, the Western mind, but if you just take a look at your pet, your cat, your your, your dog, or, or or your canary, or whatever, they respond. They have the ability to respond to their needs, to the necessities of their um, babies, and you know, and, and processes like that. They live through the notion of responsibility. Like you will never find uh, a predator, for instance, that is going to eat all of the prey 
that they feed on, because if they do that, they would be failing their future generations. So they always make sure that they are going just to take enough to feed, and they are going to leave the the you know the other uh, members of the, the species that is their prey to to be alive because they need them. It's like in a circle, you know. So they also have the responsibility. So one of the things that I have observed by looking at animals is that whenever they take something from the land, it could be like a vegetable or, or a plant or, or a tree or other animals, they make sure that they're going to provide for the future generations of that other species. And that's a responsibility. That's an ability to respond. And the notion of responsibility is a cosmic understanding of our existence on this planet and in this uh, universe. I am totally sure that this comes from the side of the female uh, force field. And I've seen it at work. And that's why also I think that um, in this time of changes, but also in this change of times, women are going to be a crucial part in the process of changing who we are. They are going to give us the indication as to where we have to go if we want to survive as a species. And so it is important also that in the process of remembering who we are, we also remember our languages. I'm thinking about all my indigenous friends that I have here on Turtle Island, in the Abiyala, in the Americas, in, in Australia, uh, everywhere. They have to make sure that they don't lose their, their language, because in their language they have embedded the wisdom that we are going to desperately need so we can uh, persist as a species very soon. We have, as indigenous people, been fighting off colonization for over 520 years now. Mm -hmm. And in that time, we have seen the system of colonization upheld by capitalism, by patriarchy, by uh, this racial um, discrimination, you know, that, that divides people into species. They even had names that um, made... Uh, anything non-white, uh, an abomination. And um, so when we think about the way science has defined the hierarchies that define our lives today, we see a clear pattern to um, uphold a particular way of seeing, you know, one that is very instrumentalist, one that is uh, that turns everything, human, animal, or plant, into a commodity. How do we find our way back? How do we create uh, communities that see each other, each nation, not just human nations, but the many nations that cohabit with us? you know, uh, as deserving of the same dignity and respect? I Actually, I think this is already happening. Like I've been uh, this last night uh, meeting with some uh, sisters and brothers, uh, many of whom are settlers, and they acknowledge that they are settlers in, on Algonquin territory, but they want to form alliances with indigenous peoples, and they are fighting. Uh, we are going to be fighting together. Uh, you know, for our children. And I think that's a very important thing that we have to do whenever we take an action, we, whenever we hold a feeling, uh, whenever we have a thought, we have to do it from the perspective of our children. 
because although they are not here, well, maybe, you know, many of us have daughters and sons, so we can actually see them, and we can do things on their behalf, and on behalf also on, of of their children, and the children of their children, and so on, up to the 13th or 7th skin. But many of your listeners might be young, and they don't have physical children yet, but they must understand that there is a spiritual realm, and their children, although they are not flesh and bone yet, they are spirits already there. So they are observing them. So they have to be honorable, and they have to live, as you mentioned, they have to live as spirits because we are all spirits. We have to be, we have to walk lightly on the land, and we have to act as if those children were already with us because their spirits are already with us. You know, we have to do things prudently so we are not going to be ashamed. You know, because I have this image in my mind that my future generations are going to be starving to death, you know, in the shores of a very polluted lake, uh, cursing me because I haven't taken the proper action, because I haven't had the proper feeling, and I haven't hold the proper thought. So I always think about that. So whatever thing I do, think, or feel, I always have my future generations with me because I know that I'm going to be doing things on their behalf. Whatever I do is going to be their consequence. So that gives a lot of direction and sense to my life, and I would ask your listeners to do the same. Just think for a minute about your children, the children of your children, and make that up to the seventh generation, as we say here on Turtle Island. You know, in my culture, we say the 13th generation. But it's the same. It's a long time. So just be prudent enough that you are going to have somebody down the line, or I I would say maybe down the circle, in the seven generations to come, that is going to talk or think about you or feel about you in the proper way because you did what it took to be a good ancestor. So make sure that your your life is going to be the life of a good ancestor. I love that. I I think that's a beautiful metaphor for life and how we live our life. I want to end by asking you to maybe talk a little bit about this transformation, this paradigm shift that we're approaching. Um, We live in a world today where women have been at the bottom of many hierarchies. You know, we see indigenous women, um, by whatever scale you measure, being among the poorest, being always excluded, being denied their title as chiefs of their nations, being denied their ancestral uh, linkages to their land. So talk about this. Because I think uh, as as we see the the change in mind, the, the minds changing, and we also see a rise in women power. We also see the rise of females taking a central stage as warriors. We have long been portrayed as the mothers who stay home and take care of the children. But we are seeing now women standing up 
uh, defending their lands, defending their children. Countless examples, you know, in Latin America, Honduras, many of the uh, movements, social movements are being led by women in uh, Bolivia, in Venezuela, in Latin America, here in Canada. You know, the, the disappearance of women in, in B.C., uh, the charge has been led by women who are fighting. Um, so uh, how do we reconnect to the power of Mother Earth and realize and see in ourselves that actualized uh, being, uh, you know, the Chachawarmi, um, you know, that is within it, all of us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is very important that we do so. Uh, that we yield to the to the direction that our grandmothers, our mothers, and our uh, wives and daughters and all the females that surround us give us, because you know this era of patriarchy has lasted too long, way too long, and it just caused so much harm that it's time that it fades away, and it's it's going to fade away if we are going to survive as a species. It's going to be with women leading the way. And as you mentioned, it's already happening everywhere. And uh, like uh, about a couple of nights ago, I was in a meeting with uh, some activists here in Aroa, and we were talking about uh, strategy and tactics. And uh, one of the things I mentioned was that, you know, in all these struggles in Latin America, in Montreal, in Ottawa, in BC, everywhere you see in Spain, in Europe, you see that women are taking over, and they are taking over in what really pertains them, which is logistics. In any struggle, if you take care of the logistical part, you know, the probability of you succeeding is very high. And even historically, Women have always been in uh, taking care of the of the logistics of any uh, conflict, and even more so in the last two decades. If you just take a look at some pictures of this uh, uh, conflict in these last two decades, you are going to see that when the conflict was being like played out, it was women that were taking care of the logistics, like food, transportation, like whatever was used. To, you know, to to defend the the, the movement, uh, the communications. It, women everywhere, everywhere. You know, and I have this image of uh, in Bolivia, this woman, you know, in front of a whole army of soldiers, all by herself, and that was quite symbolic because that that really talked about the role of the woman taking care of the logistical part of the of the of the struggle. Eventually, men come up and they become the leaders. But that's changing too, because they have to acknowledge that the, you know, the, that the women have been in charge of the logistics, and nowadays they're also becoming the guides of the movement, you know. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you you see that in Mexico with the Zapatistas. You can see that in Bolivia, you know, like for instance in Bolivia, by law, 50% uh, of the ministers have to be women, and 50% of the legislators have to be also women. And that's not because we are feminists or something like that. It is because we, although I agree with feminists, I think they are totally right, but this doesn't come from a movement of feminism. It comes from the perception of indigenous peoples that 
in our uh, culture, we, as you mentioned, we have the notion of chachawarmi. Chachawarmi means man-woman, not man and woman, but man-woman, just like a single entity. So according to our ancestral culture, you know, you are chachawarmi when you are able to become a pair with your, you know, opposite and complementary force. And if you are able to do so, then you are a chachawarmi, you are a man-woman. And uh, so that's what has given us the indication that in our laws we have to provide for women to be 50% of the structure in the, le- the legislature as well in, in the ministries in Bolivia. And this, uh, this has been converted also into modern law. But, you know, we have all this knowledge as indigenous peoples that we are, we, I mean, we can provide for uh, modern legal systems, but um, beyond these legal systems, you, you know, we have to acknowledge the culture that we have and all that wisdom that is embedded in, in our ancestral cultures. And, you know, with that, I think we can really see beyond capitalism, patriarchy, globalization, and colonialism. And, and as I said before, women are a central piece in in this puzzle. That's beautiful. I have to leave you, and thank you mm-hmm. so much for being with us. I wonder, I wonder if, in leaving with us, you would like to perhaps say a blessing, you know, to guide this journey, because I do believe that as as people, we are on a journey, and this journey requires us to recognize one another. It, re- it requires for us to be humble and willing to hear one another and um and and to walk you know to walk lightly but but to walk in the company of others you know growing and um being nurtured spiritually by each other's company yeah yeah i want to share with with you uh, silvia and with, with your listeners something that was um expressed by one of our most important leaders in uh, in the Andes, actually at Chachawarmi, Tupac Katari and Bartolina Sisa, who uh, Bartolina Sisa, she was the commander-in-chief of the Revolutionary Army in 1781 when they were trying to defeat the Spaniards. And uh, Tupac Katari was, uh, you know, the, the husband of uh, Bartolina Sisa, and he was killed by the, uh, he was dismembered by the Spaniards. But before dying, he said in Aymara, Nayaru, we had a big star, Waranka Warankanakak Kutanika, which means they will kill me alone only today because tomorrow I'll be back and I will be millions. And it is happening. Thank you. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Silvia. Take care. That was Dr. Marcelo Saavedra. He's a professor in indigenous studies at the University of Ottawa. And um, very privileged to have him on our program. We have come to the end of our program. Latin Waves is a weekly syndicated program available to campus and community radios. Please visit our website, www.latinwavesmedia.com, to hear previous shows, connect to our media projects, and access other resources or to support our efforts by making a safe PayPal contribution. I am Sylvia Richardson. Thanks for listening.